your Bibles, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to read in this 8th chapter, beginning in verse number 28, down to the end of the chapter. And at some time later, I hope that you'll take some time to read this same account in the Gospel of Mark chapter 5 and also in Luke chapter 8. I'm going to be preaching on this subject for three weeks and uh, there are some details that are given in those passages that we don't find here in the book of Matthew, but we're going to read it in Matthew today. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels. That means that they give a synopsis of Jesus' life, and they tell pretty much about the same events in, in all of the gospels. But you'll notice as you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke that they give just a little bit different account uh, a little different perspective that they're writing from. And so some may give more details and some give less details, and that's because of the different perspective and the purpose of writing. But we have this scripture before us today that is one of the most intriguing events in the life of Christ. This is the story about how Jesus cast demons out of two men. Uh, These men were driven mad because they had been infested with literally thousands of demons. Now, as I said, I'm going to refer to the other accounts that are in Matthew and Mark, or Matthew, or excuse me, Luke and, uh, and Mark today, but we're going to read it from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you'd stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country, the Gergesenes, There met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine." And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us to this place today. Help us, Lord, as we look into your word and learn something here, hopefully that will help us to understand better what you'd have us to know. Bless us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I said earlier, this is one of the most remarkable stories that we find in the life of Jesus. And this one is so intriguing that we're drawn to it almost like a magnet. What we have here is a tale of the supernatural, and it's a story that piques our interest because it deals with a world that we can't see, and it deals with beings that are powerful even beyond our imagination. There is another world that lies beyond the dimension in which we live, and the curiosity about that world sometimes is very hard for us to control. We want to know about it. It's a world of danger, and there are some people that are so interested in this subject that they want to delve into this too far, and often that can have disastrous results. I've told you before in 
answering questions about the spirit world in our Sunday morning forum class, that I believe that there are times when God has peeled back the curtain of the supernatural and has allowed people to actually see into that world. I don't believe that God allows us to see that today with human eyes. I don't think he allows us to see into the wonders of the world where just men have been made perfect. In other words, God does not allow us to communicate with people that are in heaven. He doesn't allow us to see into heaven to see what takes place there. And that's because God doesn't want us to focus on those things. He wants all attention to be paid to him. And we may be tempted to worship and to glorify creatures other than God if he allowed us to see those things. And so that's why we don't pray to dead saints. That's why we don't pray to angels. That's why we don't have statues and icons in our church because we're not to be interested too much in those things. And God forbids us to pray to them or worship them because that is idolatry. But I do believe that God has from time to time allowed people in the past to get a glimpse into this world, to get a glimpse into the world of demons. And I think it's possible that many of the art forms that have come out of ancient cultures are, have actually have validity because people may have, in fact, seen demons. When they involve themselves in all kinds of pagan practices, when they worship demons, then I think it's possible that demons have appeared to people in physical form. Now, we do know this, according to the Word of God, that he has allowed people at times to see holy elect angels. We find that in reading the scriptures that there were times when angels appeared to men or as men, appeared to men as men. And we even find visions like in Ezekiel in the book of Revelation where we have angels are described in their true form. But since the Bible has been completed, I don't think that God allows anyone to see into that world any longer. But when demons have appeared in the past, I I don't think that their true identity was hidden. And they may have appeared in very frightening, repulsive ways. And that may be why we have such strange creatures that come out of stories and legends like are in mythology. Now this morning, what I'd like to do, as I said, this is an unusual message, especially a Sunday morning message. But I'm going to explain to you some things about demons. There seems to be a lot of interest in this subject. I I field a lot of questions about this because people are interested in it. And so we're just going to look into it today. We're going to use this story in Matthew as the backdrop or the background for the discussion. Then in the next two messages, we're going to get more into the passage itself and talk to you about what took place there and the lessons that we can learn out of Jesus casting demons out of these two men. I want to remind you, first of all, of the reason for the inclusion of this story in the particular place that we have it. It's Matthew's purpose in his writing to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the king of a kingdom that God is going to bring upon this earth. And Jesus Christ has come to restore and to redeem man from the curse of sin. And he'll come back to this earth to restore this earth to the pristine condition that it was in before Adam fell in the garden. And as we move through this gospel account, we find that Matthew seeks to provide us with all the information that we need to prove that Jesus truly is the Messiah, that he is God, that he is the Savior of the world. And so he begins in Matthew chapter 1 by giving us a genealogy of Christ. That's the pedigree of the king who's going to come. We find the story of his miraculous birth, 
And that tells us that Jesus is not of this world, but that he is God incarnate who came to this earth. And then it goes on to speak of his baptism. And there we find this wonderful display of the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then Matthew moves on and he talks about the temptation of Christ. And there he gives us the impeccable nature of Jesus Christ. He would not sin. All the temptations that were given him, thrown at him by the devil, still Jesus would not sin. And then there's that great sermon that we've studied in chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus was finished with that, people were amazed at what he said. And they were amazed that he could speak with such authority. And so they wondered, how is it that Jesus can speak with this kind of authority? And the answer to that question is, he is God. And these miracles that we find in Matthew are a testament to his power as God. So we come to Matthew chapters 8 and 9, and Matthew presents us with nine miracles that show in particular ways how that Jesus truly is God. He started out with Jesus healing people from physical disease and That shows that Jesus Christ has power over man's body. Then he talked about how that Jesus calmed the storm that was on the sea. And there is Jesus with power over the natural elements of the world. He speaks the word and the winds and the waves are calm. And so he controls that. And then we come to this. We come to this story in the last part of chapter 8. And this shows us that Jesus has power over the spiritual world. Even demons have to bow to him. And so the Jews had to acknowledge that demons have to respond to the commands of Jesus because he is truly God. Now, if he is really ruler of heaven and earth, then that means that all must bow to him. He has to be able to command every creature. All must obey him, even those that are in this dark spiritual world. Mortal men cannot command the spiritual world. And Jesus was able to do it, and that proves that he's God. Now, we're going to deal with this for a little while today and take some time to explain this. And what I want to speak to you about this morning is really a frightening reality. And that is that it is possible for people to be possessed with demons. So this morning, we're going to spend our time with this, the possession of demons. So today, it's all you ever wanted to know about demons, but we're afraid to ask. There are two men that we read about in this story that are possessed by demons. Now, we notice Matthew tells us about two men, and when you read it a little bit later in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Luke, uh, those writers only mention one man, and that doesn't mean that we have a contradiction of Scripture. It just simply means that Mark and Luke concentrate on the man that was most prominent. It's the one that had so many demons in him that the demons spoke through him. And they focus on the one that Jesus spoke to. These two men lived in a city that was close to Gergesa, which is in a part of the country named Gadara, which is named after a larger, more prominent city that's in the area. And this was in the region of the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and it was an area that was inhabited mostly by Gentiles. And so when Jesus and the disciples landed on the shore in this country of the Gergesenes, In the country of Gadara, they were met by these two men that were inhabited by demons. Now, who are those demons? Who are the evil spirits that the Bible talks about, and where did they come from? Well, we're going to talk about that to start with, and that is the origin of demons. 
Where do demons come from? And to give you the short answer to that is that they were created by God. There's nothing that exists in the material universe or the non-material that was not created by God. God is the source of everything. He is the eternally triune existent one. There is no other God. There is no other eternally existent being. And so everything that ever came into being had to come from God. Now, the scriptures declare that Jesus Christ is the agent in creation. Uh, the apostle John wrote, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then in the scripture that we've read a couple of times over the past couple of weeks, uh, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, For by him, that is by Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, Matthew is consistent with Paul in showing us Christ's authority over all creatures as the king, and Paul compliments that what Matthew's trying to teach us here by showing us that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, and that's the reason why he does have all power and authority. Now, there's an interesting statement that Paul makes in verse number 16, that Christ is the creator of all things visible and invisible. Now, we don't have much trouble recognizing the visible. See the sun and the moon and the stars... We see the earth, we see animals, we see plants, we see man himself. The creation declares the glory of God. That's what the psalmist says. But what might pique our interest just a little bit further is the statement that Paul says Christ created all things that are invisible. And he goes on there and he mentions thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. And what he's speaking of there are things that belong to the invisible creation. That's the world that we can't see. They're invisible because they are in the spirit world. And what he's talking about particularly there are angels. God created the angels to be ministering spirits. And so in the beginning of the creation, God made angels, and he made an incalculable number of angels. I don't have time to go into the different places in Scripture that tell us that, but the number of angels are so numerous. I mean, there's billions and billions and billions of them that sometimes the Bible refers to them as the stars. There are so many of them, they're like the stars. If you could take a telescope and peer out into space and try to start counting all of the stars, and if you had powerful and powerful enough to reach the end of the universe, you'd never be able to count all the stars that there are. And that's why God refers to angels as stars. Every one of those angels was a direct creation from God. They don't reproduce as humans do. They don't have a physical body. They're not born and they don't die. God created the angels to exist forever. And when God made them, every single one of those angels was holy. Every one of them perfectly obeyed God. Now there in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16... And in other places where you see thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, that's an indication that there is a hierarchy among the angels. That means that there are some that are more prominent than others, some that are more powerful than others, some have higher positions than others. And this is really the key to understanding why there are demons. One of the angels 
probably the one that had the most power and the most prestige in all the creation, was an angel by the name of Lucifer. He's described in Isaiah chapter 14 and in Ezekiel chapter 28 as being the most beautiful and the most prominent of all these billions and trillions of angels, however many that there are. And because of this beauty, because of his prestige, pride entered into him, and he decided that he was not satisfied with the power that he had. He was not satisfied in being in subjection to God, and so he wanted to have God's place. He wanted to be the ruler of heaven and earth. And because of that, he fell from heaven. We read about this in Isaiah chapter 14, where it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And that means the other angels. I will be over the angels. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And there we have a declaration of opposition against God. This is rebellion. And because of that, God says in the 15th verse that Satan or Lucifer will be brought down to hell. Now, Lucifer is not the only angel that entered into rebellion. The scriptures indicate that Lucifer, whom we know now as Satan or our adversary, was successful in, in persuading one-third of all the other angels to join in his rebellion. We gather that in uh, Revelation chapter 12, which I don't have time to turn to now. You might want to read it later. But there were other angels that were cast out of heaven. I've already said the numbers of angels are incalculable. And so if you take one-third of incalculable number, you still have a whole lot of angels. And so there were a lot of them that fell from heaven. And these are the angels that are lesser in power than Satan. He is the highest angel of that order. And so all of these evil angels are in subjection to Satan and his authority. Now, when those angels fell, they became confirmed in their disobedience They remained evil. They'll be evil for all time. There's no possibility that angels that have fallen will ever repent. They'll never become good again because God has provided no redemption for them. So these fallen angels are what we know today as demons. And some of those demons are free to roam the universe, but not all of them. Because God took some of them and he incarcerated them immediately. As soon as they fell, God chained them. God incarcerated them. And they have to stay in captivity until God decides to use them for his own purposes. Jude mentions this. He says in the sixth verse of his letter, The angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. Now, the fact that there are some angels that are chained in hell right now is pertinent to this story because the demons that we find in Matthew chapter 8 are aware that there are some of these angels that are not free and they don't want their freedom to be taken away from them. And we'll, we'll talk about that in one of the next messages. But they didn't want to join in with those that are already suffering in hell. And this is part of what the conversation between Jesus and these demons concerns. So that's the origin of demons. They were created by God. Originally, they were created as holy, but they fell, 
And these are the type of spirits that came in and possessed the bodies of these two men. They're fallen angels. They are evil. They are evil only and they are evil always. Now the next we would note the dwelling of demons. And we'll get a little bit of insight into this and into the uh, preferred places of demonic spirits. And we find something about it in verse number 28. This verse says that there were two men that came from the tombs. In that particular part of the country, there were caves that were in the bluffs overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and those caves were burying places. They were tombs. So these men didn't live in the city. They lived outside of the city, and they dwelt in these tombs. They lived among the rotting corpses of the dead. Now, I don't think that you would conclude from this that you can find evil spirits in a cemetery. Now, most of us are a little bit squeamish about walking through a cemetery, especially at night. And uh, we're not too crazy about walking among the graves, not alone. You know, when I was young, my dad was pastor of a... I'm going to give my age away a little bit here. But my dad was pastor of a very, very small country church. Way, you know, we were way out in the country... And uh, at this time, when I was really, li- really little, the church didn't have indoor plumbing. The uh, outhouses were in the back of the church, way in the back of the church. And between the church and the outhouses was our cemetery. And so in order to get to the outhouse, you had to walk through the cemetery. So at nighttime, we always thought it's better to stay in church and not to go to the bathroom because you didn't want to have to walk to the cemetery. Because we, you know, as kids, we were scared of that. Uh, we were afraid that we might see a ghost there. And, I, and I've thought about maybe that's what we need to do here. That people wouldn't go to the bathroom during the service if we just parked a demon out there. And they wouldn't want to go by him. But you're, you're not going to find the spirits of dead people in cemeteries. The dead people, dead people are either in one of two places. They're either in heaven or in hell. Their spirits are waiting the resurrection of their bodies. Now, that's going to happen for both Christians and non-Christians. It'll happen at different times. But people that are in heaven or hell are waiting for the resurrection of the body. They don't come back to earth. They don't speak to people. You are not going to get advice from your dead, gra- dead grandma or dead, dead grandpa or your mother or anybody else. You're not going to get advice from them. They won't speak to you after they're dead because God does not allow that. They're in a different world, and they don't communicate with us. Well, these men lived among the tombs because tombs are a place of defilement. Evil spirits inhabit places of defilement. And the ghastly nature of that would have been very apparent to the audience that Matthew is writing to, especially when he's talking to Jews, because the Mosaic law said that anybody who was around a dead body, had touched a dead body, had been in a place where a dead body was, had become defiled. So they would recognize this. Now, I I don't want you uh, to think that a cemetery, again, is a place that you're going to find demons. The point that I'm trying to make here is that wherever you see sin, wherever you see defilement, that's where demons are at work. And he may not possess all people, demons may not possess all people, but whenever you see sin, then demons are at work there. And you'll find that in every nightclub, you'll find that in seamy bars, you find in the clubs that people go to, you find it in the casinos, you find a lot of it in Las Vegas. That's where demons dwell, where evil dwells, that's where demons operate. So that's what demons do. This is the job, their self-described job is to tempt people 
to tempt especially the people of God and to get them to disobey God's commands. That's what demons do. Now, in this place, these demons decided to inhabit the bodies of these men. For whatever reason, to be a terror to others, to be frightening and to show their control, they decided to inhabit these men and they took control of their bodies. And so their human bodies actually became the dwelling places of demons. Now, that's a frightening thought, I think, isn't it? To think that Satan could, or demons can indwell a person's body. And so I think that that would raise some questions for us. Are there demon possessions today? Did it pass out of existence in the time of the Bible? Can people be possessed by demons today? And I've often asked myself that question when I deal with some of you. I wonder, is it possible for people to be possessed by demons? But the answer to the question is yes. Yes, it is possible. There are demon possessions today. Now, you can rest assured and you can be confident of this. There is no demon that can ever inhabit the body of a Christian. A Christian has a spirit inside of him, but that spirit is the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your body. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? So the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and there is no room there for a competing spirit. For an evil spirit to come into a Christian, he would have to overcome the Holy Spirit and throw him out. And so if a devil is going to come and live in you, and you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is going to lose the battle. And folks, that can't happen. The very best protection that you can ever have from demons is that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And this scripture that we're reading here is a demonstration of Christ's power over that demon world. But all people aren't Christians. And so there is such things as demon possession. In other countries, especially where there's paganism and idolatry, where there's much superstition, demons are at work. Missionaries have come back and they've told us about times when they were sure that they were confronted with demons. Our missionary Tim Ekno can tell you about this. People in false religions in backward countries where Christianity has not had much influence are more subject to demon possession than people are in this country. Now, why don't we see more demon possession here? Well, I think it's because there isn't as much fear. What what do we do with people that might be possessed with demons? Well, we take them and we lock them away, put them in an asylum. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that some of the insane asylums have people that have had demons infest their bodies and people that are on death row in prisons have done some terrible things because they have demons in them. Charles Manson probably had demons in him and that's why he did what he did. In other countries, there is this fear of demons so that they work to subdue and keep people in bondage. Now, the fear is not as prevalent here Because what we would do, we would just lock them away and demons wouldn't have as much influence. But in other countries, they are so afraid of those things, they don't know what to do with it. And so demons inhabit people's bodies, take control of them, and and they, they show the power of what they're able to do. Now, there was a lot of that in New Testament times. That is, until Christianity began to spread uh, around the known world at that time. And the more that you find Christianity spreading, the less demon possession you see. You go through the New Testament and you'll find that as the apostles write the New Testament epistles and you get far beyond removed from the time that Jesus was here 
and you find them dealing with less and less demon possession. But there is an interesting thing about it, that when you get to the book of Revelation, there you see demons talked about more. Demons become more active. They become more prominent. Because as the world becomes more wicked in those days, demon possession becomes more prevalent. Now, what I think that that is, is a warning to America that the more that we force God out, and the more or the less that people know about God, and the more that our government begins to favor heathen religions, we're going to see a rise in demonic activity. That's why you see it in the end times, because people have rejected God on a wholesale level. And so demon possession becomes a much greater problem. That's inevitable because demons dwell where there is defilement. And the more defilement there is, the better they like it. And that's when their activities become more noticeable. I've also noticed this, that there are people, even in our churches, that don't mind dabbling with the devil. I wonder why it is that sometimes you'll see young people come into church with sweatshirts and clothing that has skulls and crossbones on them. There's a fascination that people have with death that ought not to be there. That's the activity of demons. Demons cause all this. And the more interested that we get in those kinds of things, the more demon possession that we're going to see. Now, thirdly, in this story, we see the activity of demons. Verse number 28 says that these men were exceeding fierce. Mark says that they were in the mountains crying and they were cutting themselves with stones. And that activity is the product of possession. The devil is never intended to do anything other than to harm people. And so when you see things like this, and the variety of ways that Satan has for people to mutilate their bodies, you can look at demon possession. Demons affect people physically. That's evident in the story that's before it. Here it's mutilation by cutting the body with stones. In other scriptures, you find that devils cause blindness. You'll find that Devils caused it so that people couldn't speak. When we get over to chapter 9, we'll find it there. The apostle Paul was affected by a demon. He said that there was a messenger of Satan that was sent to afflict him. And we don't know exactly what his affliction was, but he was affected by it. He couldn't be inhabited by it because he was a Christian, but he was affected by it. It afflicted him in some way. Demons affect people mentally. I said before that Our mental institutions most likely contain some people that are out of their minds because of demons. In Mark chapter 9, there was a young man who had a demon in him, and that demon caused him to throw himself into the fire. That demon caused him to try to drown himself. In Acts chapter 19, there's another demon possession there where there's a young girl who had in her what was called a spirit of of divination. That means that she was a fortune teller. She was able, I don't know how they did it, how that was done, but she knew some things they didn't know, and they thought that she had the ability to foretell the future. And folks, all of that stuff, tarot cards, horoscopes, fortune tellers, palm readers, all of that stuff is from the devil. And then where we see the devil doing his greatest destruction, demons doing their greatest destruction on a wider scale, is through false religions. Demons are behind false religions. Demons are behind idolatry. Demons are at work when you see people praying to dead saints. When you see them praying to the Virgin Mary, that's the work of demons. When you see them praying to angels, demons are behind that. 
You know, I've, asked, I've been asked this before. What do you think about, think about speaking in tongues? And what do you think about all that and the things that you see in charismatic churches? Well, I can tell you that there are only two spirits that are at work in the world. Either it's the spirit of Christ or it's the spirit of Antichrist. There aren't any other choices. The Apostle John told us that we are to try the spirits to see whether they are of God. So you don't have any other options. It's either God or it's the devil. And so if there's something going on there that causes people to speak in tongues or do something that the Bible says that we ought not to be doing, or passed away, it has to be the trick of the devil. It's the work of demons that have infiltrated churches with false doctrines. And here's the thing that people are very confused about today. When they see something supernatural happening, happening in a church, they automatically attribute that to God. That's not the case. The devil is often at work in churches. You don't attribute everything supernatural to God. When something is taking place that does not line up with Scripture, it's not the activity of God, it's the activity of demons. So false Christianity is the work of demons. And if you want to go back to the, what I was saying just a moment ago, what is the dwelling place of demons and where can you find one? The most likely place that you're going to find a demon is in a building with a steeple on top. That's where the demons are. Now the devil lurks in the church and what he does is he destroys doctrines of the faith. And that's why you can hardly find a church today that uses the Bible any longer. You can go to churches all over this area and people don't even read from the Bible. They don't talk about hell. They don't talk about punishment. They don't talk about sin. And they don't do it because demons are at work to keep the doctrines of Jesus Christ and the doctrines of the faith away from people. That's what Satan does. So you can't attribute supernatural activity all the time to God because the Word of God says that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. And he does that in order to deceive people so they won't know the truth. And so the devil is at work in churches today. And while I'm making people mad, I might as well throw this in as well. I'm not the most popular preacher in town, I know that. But I'll say this, that Islam is the work of demons. Hinduism, Buddhism, that's the work of demons. Any religion that does not exalt Jesus Christ and declare him to be the only way that a person can get to heaven, the only way that you're ever going to see God the Father, any, any false religion that does not teach that is the work of the devil. And say, so, well, Pastor, that's not very nice. You haven't learned to play well with others, have you? I'm not the first one to say this. Jesus said this. And if he hadn't said it, I wouldn't say it. So if you have a problem, if you have a beef, take it up with him, not with me. Now let me finish today. I have a lot more to say about demons. I know it's after 12, you're getting hungry, and you may not put up with me too much longer. We're going to deal with these men in, in, a, in, a, in another way in the context of the passage next week, but I just want to give you an idea of what's going on with demons. Who are these demons? What's the Bible mean when it speaks of demons? So I'm going to give you one more. Fourthly is the strength of demons. In the Mark passage where we had the very same story, Mark writes this. And when he was come out of a ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. 
Now, the demons that were in these men equipped them with supernatural strength, superhuman abilities. They caused these men to be able to do things that they normally could not do. So they had bound this man with chains. They had tied them up. They were terrorizing people. They were exceeding fears. So they locked them up. They locked them down. And as soon as that was done, this man was able to break those links in the chain. Now, you remember... In the Old Testament, we have the story of Samson, and he was given amazing strength by God, superhuman strength. And here we see that these evil spirits are able to give superhuman strength. And I guess uh, maybe a better way to describe that is that they're able to get out of the body what the human brain normally is capable of causing the body to do. Now, I mentioned the strength to show you this that demons are impossible for you to contend with. You are not going to fight with demons. You cannot overcome demons. They belong to the spiritual world. They are beyond our capability. So physically, you are not going to be able to overcome a demon. Mentally, you can't overcome them. And spiritually, you can't overcome them. Only that's not quite right. Spiritually is the only way that you ever can overcome a demon. You're not going to fight them any other way. Because if you're going to fight with a demon, what you have to do is that you have to move over into their world. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul said about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now I thank the Apostle Paul for confirming what I just said. You can't fight demons in the flesh because they don't war in the flesh. Then he goes on and he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that's not fleshly, but mighty to God through the pulling down, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So what kind of weapons could you possibly use to fight against demons? Paul tells us that too. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. There he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, you notice there the same thing that we read over in the, uh, the book of Colossians in chapter 1. These, these uh, powers, principalities, rulers of darkness of this world, those are those demons that fell from heaven that were in the rebellion of Satan, and now they are the rulers of darkness. They are the spiritual ones that are in high places, the wicked ones. So this other world, the heavenlies, the invisible world, where we don't have any natural perception, that's where you have to fight with demons. And if you're going to fight in that world, you have to be equipped to be able to do it. And so what kind of weapons are you going to use to fight in that world? Paul tells us that in the next verses. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand all, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if you had that passage open in your Bible, you'd want to underline that. You'd want to underline the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And there is the very reason why you don't find the Bible being read and taught in many churches today, because the Word of God is what defeats the devil. 
And the devil's not going to allow anything to come in that squashes his activity. And so when you find churches that will not read from the Word of God, you know demons are stopping that. Demons are at work because the Word of God is what defeats them. So how are you going to win against devils? You can only use the equipment that comes from God. Jesus cast demons out because he was God. Nobody else could do it. Demons are powerful, and if you're going to cast them out, you have to have God's power. So what do you do? Do you call a priest? Do you ring up Father Damien? Tell him to come over and cast out devils? No, the Bible tells you how to overcome Satan. Revelation chapter 12 says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. That's referring to Satan, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto the death. Now, maybe you're not familiar with Scripture. I'll tell you who the Lamb is. The Lamb is Jesus Christ. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And the only way that you're ever able to overcome Satan, to overcome demons, is by faith in the blood of the Lamb. Faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to end with that today. Matthew shows us that Jesus is the king. He is the one who has the power to overcome Satan, and he will do it. And so if you have not received Christ, if you've not believed in him to the salvation of your soul, if you've not trusted him and him alone, if you've not given up on trying to save yourself by all the good things that you do, by your own self-righteousness, then you have none of the tools by which you can fight the devil. And whether the devil is inside of you, demons are inside or outside of you, they will always win. And in the end, your soul will be cast into hell. You need Jesus. And when his spirit lives inside of you, you have the power to resist the devil. The devil has no choice but to flee because the word of God says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Here is the key to it all. If you want to defeat Satan and his forces, if you want to go to heaven when you die, you've got to have Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the only way that'll ever happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we spent together today and Although we're dealing with a very different subject this morning, we do want to make people aware that there is an evil presence in the world. There is an evil spirit. There are many of them that are at work trying to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ, trying to prevent people from believing in Jesus as Savior. And so, Lord, I just ask you today that you'd help us to overcome that evil power through the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we do this by our faith in you, and that's the only way that it can be done. So I ask you, Lord, that you'd speak to some heart today, open their eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ so they might understand that they need Jesus in their heart. They need to receive him as Savior. And only by doing so will they ever be able to go to heaven. Help us, Lord, to understand this today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.